welcome to Thrive Church Online. I'm Rachel, your online host for today. I'm so glad you're joining us wherever you are today. A very special welcome to our first-time guests. If this is your first time tuning in, you are our VIP. Please text NEW to 604-285-5770 or visit myfly.info and we will mail you a Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. It's just a way for us to connect with you and to say thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us today. Parents, we also prepare some fun, interactive online lessons for your children. Simply visit myfly.info and click Fight Kids Online. There'll be worship videos, lesson videos, some crafts or activity sheets for your kids. You'll also find all the information you need to join our Fight Kids Zoom classes for kids age 3 to 12 every Sunday from 10.45 to 11.15 a.m. The government here in BC, Canada just announced their reopening plan. And maybe it's just me, but I can't help but start thinking about the traveling plans that I can possibly have once everything's back to normal. So whether you're living in Vancouver or you're from other provinces or countries, what's your dream vacation destination once the travel restrictions are lifted? You can share with the people watching the service with you or let us know in the chat room. Right, it's definitely exciting to be able to dream about the places we want to visit or the food that we want to try. But hey, I'm actually way more excited to be here worshiping God with you online. So let's get our hearts ready for a powerful morning together. And now I'm going to pass the time over to Pastor JB. Hi, Thrive Church. You may have heard this past week, Dr. Bonnie Henry and the BC government have announced a restart plan for the whole province. And as part of that, they're allowing for churches to have worship services of 50 people or less. Now, if you're wondering how we're going to respond to that, uh, if you know Drive Church, then you'll know that given our current size, that it will be quite a challenge to stick with a 50 person service. It would be something where we'd have to do many, many of those services to accommodate the number of people that we have. And so instead of doing that, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to meet online for the time being, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. And as restrictions hopefully continue to loosen, and as the capacity that's allowed for worship services increases, when it gets to that right number that we feel is the right number for us to have live worship services in person on site at the Thrive Center will certainly let you know and we can't wait to reopen the Thrive Center for you. We're getting ready for that and we're so excited. In the meantime, we encourage you guys to be part of a small group. If you're not part of a small group yet and you call Thrive Church your home church, then make sure you're part of a small group. Otherwise, you're going to find that you're superficially connected to everyone but not really closely connected to anyone and especially in a time like this, we need to be connected well together and so encourage you guys to be part of a small group with restrictions loosening for outdoor 
gatherings and even some indoor gatherings. There's possibly the potential for small groups to be meeting, not just online anymore, but in other ways as well. And so we encourage you to make the most of that opportunity. Encourage you guys to uh, you know join up with a small group. You can sign up at myflab.info uh, to be part of a small group if you're not part of one already. And let's continue to stick together. Let's continue to meet together online. And let's continue to do our very best in this time. You guys are doing great. We're so proud of you. And here's believing that the best is yet to come. And so praise God. Can't wait to meet with all of you in person again. But in the meantime, let's make the most of this time online together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive, and I'm so excited to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you're what we call our VIP. Whether you stumbled upon us online or a friend invited you, we are so glad that you're here. And just to say thanks so much for spending a bit of your Sunday with us, we want to have a, give you a special gift today. If you want to go to mythrive.info and you touch the button that says new, to Thrive. We would love to send straight to your door your very own stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle just to say thanks so much for joining us today. Can we give all of our VIPs a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? We've got a saying here at Thrive Church, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, could you welcome one another to church today? In your chat rooms, would you welcome one another beside you with your neighbor? Would you welcome another? Let's welcome another to the house of God today. You guys are an amazing church. We love you guys. It's always such a joy to spend time with you. And certainly today is no exception to that. I want to let you know that uh, we are always getting ready for new things here at Thrive Church. And in just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Father's Day. And so this is a shout out to all the dads in the house right now. Uh, we would love to get your mailing address because we want to send to you a special gift just to honor you and celebrate you. A small thing to just say, hey, we're thinking of you at Father's Day. And so please let us know if you are a dad, uh, we'd love to send you a gift. Send us your mailing address by going to mythrod.info and to go to there for more information uh, on our Father's Day celebration. Well, if you have your Bibles, time to get that right now. This is my Bible. Maybe yours is a paper Bible like mine. Maybe yours is a device that you downloaded the Bible into. Either way is cool. We're just going to hold up our Bible like this. this. is a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message. Would you just say this with me right now? We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is so good to have each and every one of you here. And especially if you are new to church, you're new to the Bible, you're new to Jesus, you're new to Christianity, maybe you're coming in from another faith background or no background at all. We hope you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can find some hope and some encouragement to help you start this week, maybe a place where you can find some answers to the questions that you might be asking. If there's any way we can be serving you at all, any questions you have, you can always email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. It it is so good to have you here. Would you turn to neighbors and say, it's so good to have you here. It's so good to have each and every one of you here. We're doing a series here at Thrive Church. It's called Waiting for Sunrise. 
And in this series called Waiting for Sunrise, we're looking through the powerful book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And we're looking at how do you keep your hope alive in a time of waiting? The fact is we are all in a time of waiting right now. We are looking for case numbers for COVID to come down, looking for life to go back to normal, as normal as it can be. We're all waiting in this way, but maybe in other ways you are waiting as well. Maybe when it comes to your future, your family, your health, the health of someone you love, your finances, your work situation, you are waiting. You're waiting for good news and it's yet to come and you're still waiting. How do you keep your hope alive in a time of waiting? We're looking through the book of Isaiah to teach us some powerful lessons about waiting as well as some powerful lessons about who God is and his plans for our lives. And so we're so glad that you've joined us. If you've missed any episode of the series so far, go to our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast, go to our YouTube channel to check out all the different episodes from all the different speakers who've been speaking on the book of Isaiah together with us. It has been an amazing series and here's believing the best is yet to come. Today, we're looking at Isaiah chapters 44 and 45 together. We are now into the second half of Isaiah. They say that Isaiah is kind of like a mini Bible. The Bible is consisted of 66 books. There's the first half called the Old Testament, which is 39 books. There's the second half called the New Testament, which has 27 books. And in a similar kind of uncanny way, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is one book in the Bible, but it's kind of like a mini Bible. It's got 66 six chapters. The first 39 chapters are like the first half of Isaiah. The last 27 chapters are like the second half of Isaiah. And if you read the first half of the Bible and you read the first half of Isaiah, you'll notice a bit of a similarity is that the predominant theme in a lot of ways, and this is generalizing a bit, but the predominant theme is one of judgment. God is holy. He is just, and he you know, cannot stand sin. And he is a judge. He judges wickedness. He judges evil. He judges, you know, injustice. He judges sin. And so that's the big predominant theme in the Old Testament. That's also the big predominant theme in the first half of Isaiah. Of course, there's sprinkled in there so many messages about hope, but the predominant theme is judgment. Then you go to the second half of Isaiah, which is talking about hope. And that's just like the Bible as well. The New Testament is so much about hope. And and this is what we find ourselves in today. We are now into the second half of the book of Isaiah. We're looking at Isaiah 44 and 45 together. The, the, the main overriding theme of the second half of Isaiah is that God is a God who provides hope for his people. That's why it even, it, it even begins, the, first, the second half of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse one, begins with the word comfort. He's, he's, he's bringing hope to his people once again. Now, like other Old Testament prophets, you're going to find that in Isaiah 40 to 66, Isaiah is going to predict events that are going to happen in the future, past his own time. He's foretelling the future. And that's what a lot of prophets in the Old Testament would do. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, you know, Zechariah, you know, Hosea, they're, they're, they're predicting a future time. But see, unlike other Old Testament prophets, you're going to find, as we go into Isaiah 40 to 66 together, that Isaiah goes one step further than just foretelling the future, just predicting the future. He does one thing more. Do you know what he does? Is that Isaiah is actually going to write messages to the people in that future time is that he's not just saying, okay, one day something like this is going to happen in the future. He's, he's actually going to write down messages that are meant specifically for the people who will live in that time. He's preaching to a people who have not yet been born. 
And, and see, it, it's as if Isaiah has created like this time capsule. Have you ever done a time capsule before where you put in messages and, and, and it's supposed to be for someone else to open up later on in the future? That's what Isaiah is doing. He's got these messages that he believes God has given to him. He's writing them down. He puts them in this time capsule called the scroll of Isaiah. And it's intended that centuries later, people are going to open it up. They're going to read it and realize, wow, this message was for me. That's one of the remarkable things about the book of Isaiah. If you're kind of still kind of understand what he's trying to do, let me illustrate it this way. You know, once I heard of this father who was dying of a terminal illness, and he knew that he would not be around very much longer for his daughter, who was just a little child at that time. And so what he did, knowing that he didn't have that much longer to live, he decided he was going to write in advance several letters to his daughter. And he asked his wife to keep those letters with her. And that when certain milestone events happened in his daughter's life, he asked his wife to say, would you please give that letter to my daughter? And what happened was on, you know, he, he did pass on. And, you know, later on, when his, uh, his daughter turned 13 years old, his mom came up to her and said, hey, there's a, there's a message from your dad. And, and she opened up the letter and it was a letter from her dad congratulating her on her 13th birthday. On her 16th birthday, same thing. Here's a letter from your dad. On her prom night, a letter from her dad. On her graduation from high school, a letter from her dad. When she went her first day in college, a letter from her dad. Her graduation from college, a letter from her dad. A wedding, her letter from her dad. And, and was, what was this? This, this touching de- gesture from her dad it was, uh, uh, is, a, is a cool picture for what Isaiah is doing is that what Isaiah is doing is knowing that he will not be around forever, but also knowing that God has given him a message for people who are going to be living long after he is gone. He's writing down these messages and he's saying, this is for you later on. And see, that's what the book of Isaiah is about. That's what the book of Isaiah chapters 44 to 66 are very much about. And we can learn something from that, is that one of the best ways that you can make use of your life is to do something with your life that will benefit others even after you're gone. That's one of the best ways you can use your life. That's what Isaiah is doing. That's what God is doing through Isaiah. God is being proactive. Even before these people are born, he's already preparing them. He's already preparing encouragement for them. He's already preparing ways to comfort them, to bring them hope, even before they're even born. God is a proactive God. And see, for every problem you have, God already proactively plans to do something about it. For every problem you have, God proactively provides a promise to preserve you because that's the God that we have. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is proactive. God is proactive. So God is proactive. He's proactively working through Isaiah to speak to a people who are gonna live centuries after Isaiah is gone and to whom specifically is Isaiah writing and concerning what future event is Isaiah talking about. See, throughout chapters 40 to 55 of Isaiah, Isaiah is writing to his own people of Judah, Jewish people, who have been ousted out of their own country of Judah, and they are now living as exiles in the country of Babylon. Now, this is possibly about maybe about 580 to 540 BC. Effectively, what's going on is this. Isaiah, who is living in Judah at about 700 BC, is writing a message for his Jewish people who will be living in another country about 150 years later. And so Isaiah's going to be gone by the sun, but here's a message for them. And what is Isaiah's message to the Jewish exiles in Babylon? His message is one of hope. His message is him saying, hey guys, God has not forgotten about you. 
God is still here. God still knows the plans he has for you. And God one day is gonna bring you Jewish exiles back out of Babylon into Jerusalem again. That's the message he has for them. And so with all that in mind, let's unpack today Isaiah 44 and 45. We're gonna start with Isaiah 44 verse 24 and encourage you to have your Bibles open today. Have a pen, have a highlighter ready because you're gonna need it to make the most of our time together today. Isaiah 44 verse 24 says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Your redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, of the towns of Judah, they shall be built, and of their ruins, I will restore them. If you have your Bibles in front of you, could you underline, highlight these words, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, and of their ruins I will restore them. Now, if you're, if you're living in Isaiah's time, say you're Isaiah's neighbor, and you knock on his door because you want to borrow some sugar. You want to you, you, you borrow something from him, and you, you go into his house, and you happen to take a peek at, you know, at stuff, some of the stuff you, you, he's writing. He's like, hey, Isaiah, what are you writing? Oh, I'm, I'm just writing some scrolls of some, some messages I think, I think God's given me. Oh, can I see? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, you're, you're, what, what do we mean? Like Jerusalem is going to be inhabited or like the ruins are going to be restored. Like, what, what, what are you talking about, Isaiah? The fact is this, if, if you were living in Isaiah's time and you're reading what Isaiah is writing in 700 BC, you'll be like, what are you talking about? Jerusalem isn't in ruins. Jerusalem is already inhabited. It's, it's, it's already full of people. What are you talking about? And, 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 and later on, he's going to mention that the temple has been destroyed. And so we're going to rebuild the temple. What are you talking about? Like the temple's right here. The temple's been here for centuries. What are you talking about, Isaiah? And, and so what's going on? Isaiah, he's talking about a future time. Look at verse 27. He says, who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams. Verse 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let, itself, let its foundations be laid. See what's going on. Isaiah is talking about a time in the future. He's envisioning a time when Jerusalem is now in ruins, when the temple in Jerusalem where they worship is destroyed. And it's a time when the Jewish people are now exiles in another country called Babylon. And he's saying even more one thing. He's saying that there will come a time when a leader called Cyrus, that's all he knows about his name. It says his name is Cyrus. There's a guy called Cyrus who's gonna one day come and he's gonna order the Jewish people back to Jerusalem and allow them to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And guess what? Sure enough, after Isaiah writes down this prophecy, about 150 years later, Babylon destroys Jerusalem. The temple is in ruins. About 95% of all the Jews in Judah have been taken captive to Babylon, but then a man rises up from an obscure small tribe who would rise up to become the ruler of the kingdom of Persia. And this man, his name is Cyrus. This is real history. 
And as king of Persia, Cyrus would take over many kingdoms, many nations, including the kingdom of the Medes. Cyrus is now the king of the Persians and the Medes. And as such, he would conquer Babylon, which was the leading empire of the time, become the dominant empire. And then in 539 BC, Cyrus would order all the Jewish exiles in Babylon to return to their homeland and rebuild Jerusalem. Isaiah, 200 years before, before this happened, said it would happen. And see, some people, oh, like Isaiah couldn't have you know, known that. That, that, that that's, that's impossible. That's humanly impossible. And, and, and people start to posit different things about, oh, there must have been someone else who wrote this. Maybe someone who lived in Babylon when they were still exiled, and they knew about this. They knew about Cyrus, and then they wrote it down. And, and here's the thing, and we're going to talk more about this next week. The fact is, you got to realize this, is that Isaiah and the entire Bible is not a normal book. It's not just human authors writing human things, but it is, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Isaiah is able to do things that we don't normally do. We don't, I can't preach a message that is for, two, for, for people 200 years after this time, but Isaiah can because it's not him, it's the Holy Spirit working through him. And see, when Isaiah writes this message, he also writes a message to Cyrus himself. Look at Isaiah 45 and get ready to underline something. It says this, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. Would you underline those words to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. I almost picture almost like Cyrus being like this little infant, almost like my, my, my son Caleb and, and, and God takes him by his right hand. And he's, and he's kind of, he's lifting him up. He's going up the stairs. He's elevating him to a place of ascendance that he couldn't get to himself. That's the God doing that for Cyrus. And look, so look at verse two, it says, I will go before you and you will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. See what's going on. God is saying this, like a parent who takes hold of their son's right hand and helps them walk up the stairs, I'm gonna elevate you, Cyrus, to be in a higher place than you ever thought possible. And I'm gonna cause you to conquer mountains, i.e. kingdoms. I'm gonna cause you to subdue nations. I'm gonna cause you to strip kings of their armor. And I'm gonna give you great, great wealth. And the reason I do all of this, look at verse three, is underline it, so that you may know that I am the Lord. See, what is that? God is gonna elevate Cyrus and bless Cyrus in a way that is far beyond all he could ask for or imagine, not simply for his comfort, not simply so he could look and say how great I am, not simply so that he can be happy, but he's gonna bless him as a way for Cyrus to get to know the Lord. And see, in other words, God is saying to Cyrus, Cyrus, with all the success that I'm gonna give you, always remember, it's not about you, it's about me. It's about knowing who I am. And see, and there's a lesson here for us, is that every good thing you have in life is ultimately from God. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father in heaven. And see, and part of that, there's another lesson. The reason God blesses you, whenever he gives you any good thing, the reason he does so is not just for your happiness. It's not just for your comfort. It's not just for your success or your fame or your name or your prosperity, but God does it so that you would know him. 
God blesses you to show you that there's a God who is there, who cares about you, who knows you, who loves you, and every blessing in your life is like a clue, a parable, a hint that God is there, that he cares, that he is good, and that he loves you. Would you turn to him and say, God loves you? God loves you. See, every blessing in your life every gift that you have, every talent you've been given, every good opportunity, every one of them is a perfect gift from God. And it's God's gentle way of showing you that he is there and he cares. And so whenever God blesses you, whenever you're promoted, whenever you're elevated, whenever you're given extra influence than you had before, remember that it's not about you, it's about God. It's not about your glory. It's not about your story. It's about God's glory and God's story and God's kingdom being revealed in and through your life. Amen. And see, there's also something else I need to warn you about then, is that since every good and perfect gift is from God, and because God gives us these gifts so that we can know him, the most short-sighted way that you can deal with the blessings in your life is to ignore the giver and just focus on the gift. It's to just focus on the blessing of this, my job, my kids, my family, my health, you know, my, 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 my stuff, you know, my car. I focus on all these different things, my thing, mine, 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 mine. And you forget why God gave it to you in the first place. Is that you focus on the gift and you forget about the giver. When we do that, we miss the point of the blessing in the first place. We miss the fact that the reason why God does it is not simply for you to be happy, for you to be comfortable, for you to you know, achieve your dreams. More than that is so that you would know who the Lord is, that you would have a relationship with him. It's almost like every gift is like a, a way to, for him to soften your heart toward him. But it's our choice how we want to respond to him. See, so that's one important thing to know. Verse four, read this with me. It says, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and I bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. See what's going on. See, God is talking to Cyrus still. And he's saying that for the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you and I give you honor and I give you a title, though you don't acknowledge me. And see what's going on. God is using Cyrus to bless others. God is blessing Cyrus, not for Cyrus's own good, but for the good of other people. And see, what, what that also tells us is, is God can use anyone he wants. See, Cyrus is not at this point a believer in the Lord. He grows up in Persia, believing in all sorts of different gods. He doesn't know the Lord yet. God can use anyone he wants. He is sovereign. And the, the, the fact is this, when God uses your life to make a difference in someone else's life, don't give yourself all the credit. Don't say, oh yeah, it's because I'm so good. I'm so unselfish. I'm so humble. No, it's because God is sovereign and he can use whoever he decides to use. Amen? Amen? And, and here it is. God will use all of us for his purposes one way or the other. The Bible says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things, including you and me, every single thing in this earth, every single person in this earth, God is gonna use every single person for his purpose in the end, whether they know it or not. The question is, how is God gonna use your life? 
Is it going to be one where you are cooperating with God? Where you got a relationship with God? Where you acknowledge God? Where you're walking hand in hand with God? Or where you're trusting him and you see God working in and through your life and being a blessing to others? Or is it going to be more like a blunt instrument where you don't even know that you know, God is there? You don't even care. You resist God, but God will somehow use you in another way. Not in as great a way, but he'll use you in some kind of way as well. Which one do you want? It's so much better to have a relationship with God where you trust him and you see him work in and through your life. Amen? That's the way that you were meant to be used by God. Turn to your and say, you were meant to be used by God. You were meant to be used by God. Is this helpful in this place so far? Look at verse five. Would you underline something in just a second? It says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Would you underline those words? I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. Verse 6 says, So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Would you underline those words? There is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. See, Cyrus grew up worshiping a lot of different gods, believing that all religions are cool, all religions are valid, and whenever he conquered a new foreign nation, you know what he would do? His habit was to actually call on the gods of that nation. It was kind of unlike the other you know, nations, empires before. He would actually call on the gods of the nations that he invaded. And one of the biggest themes of Isaiah 40 to 66, one of the biggest, is that the Lord is the one true God. That, and, and in fact, you see this repeated over and over and over again in Isaiah 46, 6. Let me give you some examples. Isaiah 43, verse 10. What does it say? It says, understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. Isaiah 44, 8. What does it say? It says, is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Isaiah 44, verse six, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, 14 says, this is what the Lord says, the products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and those tall Sabians, they will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. They will bow down before you and plead with you saying, surely God is with you and there is no other. There is no other God. I could go on and I'll give you one last one. Isaiah 45, verse 18 says, for this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Finally, okay, I, I promise one last one. Last, okay. Isaiah 46, just over and over. Isaiah 46 verse nine says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Why is it? that we're reading these verses over and over. It's because over and over, Isaiah is saying that there is only one God. And that God is the God of heaven, the God who made this universe, the God of the Hebrews, his name is Yahweh. Now this is quite a claim, especially when you consider that Judah was a small nation on the world stage. They're not Assyria, they're not Babylon, they're not Persia. They are a small nation. And these other nations worship a ton of other gods. And if you're thinking, if you're listening to Isaiah here talking about how my God is the one true God, Israel's God is the one true God, you'll be like, what a small-minded man. 
How obnoxious, how bigoted, how narrow-minded to think that your God is the right God and everyone else's God is not God. You know, and, and it's really important to get a grasp on this issue, so we're actually going to be spending the rest of our time on it today, is that, is that in fact, this is, a, this is a modern issue for us today as well is that it's one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest objections, one of the biggest criticisms that people have about Christianity is, oh, you Christians, you say that your God is the right God and everyone else is wrong? You say that Jesus is the only way to God? What about every other religion in the world? You know, what about people who, who worship other gods? You're saying that they're, they're, their gods are false and you're, only your God is correct? What's that? That's bigotry. That's, that's arrogance. That's being so small, narrow-minded. What's wrong with you Christians? And see, you know, in fact, maybe if you've ever had that objection before, heard that objection before, had that question before, like how can Jesus be the only way to God? Then, then you're not alone. Your Rabbi Shmuel Botich, he says, I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. Oprah Winfrey, the great theologian, says one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. How do you respond to a criticism like that? How do you respond to a charge like that? That when we say Jesus is the only way to God and people find offensive, people find like, how can you even say that? See, we're gonna look at that today. And I wanna look at that by looking at two misconceptions that people often have about Christianity. Two misconceptions, two wrong ideas people have, misunderstandings people have about Christianity. Misconception number one, write this down, is that it is arrogant and intolerant of Christians to think that Christianity is right and everyone, every other faith is wrong. That's a misconception. Let me tell you why. See, first of all, let me tell you something that might surprise you. Being a Christian doesn't require that you believe that other religions are completely wrong. It doesn't. For example, Christians can affirm the first two noble truths in Buddhism, which say that number one, there is suffering in this world, and number two, a lot of that suffering is caused by our own greed, hatred, and ignorance. Christians and Buddhists agree on that. Does that, and you know, for another, another example, Christians affirm with many other religions that there are certain things that are wrong, that, you know, stealing is wrong, cheating is wrong, lying is wrong, having, a, having an affair and cheating on your spouse is wrong, stealing is wrong. It, we, we, and and a, lot of, a lot of religions, they touch on that point as well. Does that mean that Christians agree with everything that other religions teach? No, but that's not to say that we don't have certain things in common. And to the extent that Christianity and other faiths share common beliefs, we can fight for them together. Amen. But see, still, Christians believe that they have a unique and powerful message to offer the world. And before you charge Christians for being so arrogant, for thinking that what they preach is the best way and you know, everyone else, they, they, let, let me tell you something. See, it is a misconception to think that it is arrogant and intolerant of Christians to think that Christianity is the right way and everyone else is wrong because the fact is every perspective on religion has an element of exclusivity in it not just a Christian perspective. In other words, every person who expresses a view about religions will inevitably have an element of exclusivity in their view. In other words, there's always gonna be, whether you're Christian or not, if you have a faith background or no background at all, whenever someone expresses a view on religions, there's always gonna be this element of exclusivity, this idea of these people got it right, these people got it wrong. These people are more right, these people are more wrong. See, for example, Muslims, they believe that if you wanna go to heaven, you need to profess faith in Allah and in his prophet Muhammad. If you don't, you're not going to heaven. 
That's exclusive. You know, Buddhism began as a response to Hinduism saying the Hindus got it wrong. And so we're going to do it right. That's being exclusive in Buddhism. Judaism teaches that there is one God, Yahweh, but that God is definitely not Jesus. Allah is definitely not that God. That's exclusive. Atheists say there is no such thing as God and there's nothing more than the material, physical universe that we have. And so all of you who believe in some God, you are all wrong. And so in so doing, they're excluding about 95% of the world. And see, so they're, they're being exclusive as well. Agnostics say, you know what? You are all wrong to think you're all so right. You're, you're all wrong to be so confident in thinking you're right. That's being exclusive as well. And so it's not just Christians who have an exclusive view. All viewpoints on religion have an element of exclusivity. And if you try to be what's called an inclusivist, where you try to be someone who tries to bring everyone together and say all religions, you know, you're all just talking about the same thing, guess what? you're being just as exclusive in your views as anyone else. Do you know why? Let me illustrate. Sometimes inclusivists, people who say, oh yeah, all religions are really just talking about the same thing, they'll use this illustration. They'll point to the illustration of an elephant with four blind men. And they'll say, it's like an elephant that is being touched by four blind men. One blind man, he's holding the the ear of the elephant. And he says, I know the truth of the elephant. The elephant is flat and smooth. And then there's another blind man who's, who's holding the trunk of the elephant. And, he, and he's saying, no, 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 I have the truth of the elephant. The elephant is long and rough like a hose. And then there's another blind man who's kind of holding onto the leg of the elephant. He's like, no, 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 you're all wrong. I have the truth of the elephant. The elephant is, is huge like a tree trunk. And then finally, there's a fourth blind man who's touching the tail of the elephant. And he's like, no, 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 you're all wrong. I have the truth of the elephant. The elephant is thin, hairy, quick like a whip, and really stinks. And see, see what's going on is that each blind man is just talking about their part that they see, and the inclusivist says, that's what religions are like, is that all of you, you're all just talking about the same thing, just different parts to it. And so it's arrogant for in any one of you to say that the others are wrong, because you're, you're all talking about the same thing. And see, inclusivists, they will use that illustration to show that, you know what, there is no one religion that can say that they are right and others are wrong. But let me ask you this question. What's wrong with that approach? What's the problem with that approach? See, that approach assumes that the inclusivist sees it all and everyone only sees a part. It assumes that, you know, I see the whole picture. I see the whole elephant. You guys just see a little part. I have the superior view of reality. You guys have an inferior view. And so what's going on? In in trying to include everybody, the inclusivist actually excludes everybody. Does it make sense? And so the inclusivist thinks it's so arrogant and intolerant for a Christian or someone from any other religion to believe that what they believe is right and others are wrong, and yet the inclusive is saying the same thing. He's saying, what I believe is more right than what you believe. And so, you know, in fact, that's what the Baha'i faith became, is that the Baha'is, they thought, you know what, Let, let's bring all the religions together. They're all the same thing. And then what they end up doing, they end up creating a new religion that missed the point of every other, every other religion. See, that, that's what happens when you try to be an inclusivist that way. And see, the next time someone tells you, oh, Christians are so arrogant to say that they've got the truth and everyone else is wrong, remember this. 
every viewpoint on religion, even the ones that try to include everyone, will have an element of exclusivity. See, there's one more thing you need to know. Just because two people disagree, have different exclusive views on religion, that doesn't mean that they can't get along. Before COVID-19, you know, every week I would go running with a group of friends and you know, one is an atheist, one is a Muslim, one is the Christian, which is me. Uh, and there, there's a guy from a Jewish background. And so every week, imagine this, a Muslim, a Jew, an atheist, and a Christian go into the woods for a run. That sounds like the beginning of a joke, but that, that, that's actually true. That's actually what happened. Every single week we do that. We don't do that now during COVID-19. But, but here's the thing is that we, when we would talk, we would all just have very different views on different topics we speak about. But does that keep us from having intelligent, courteous, polite, respectful, fun conversations with one another? No, it doesn't. Does that keep us from being friends who care for one another? No, absolutely not. See, my group of friends who go running with me is a literal example of how you don't always need to see eye to eye in order to run side by side. So this is the thing, why is that important? It's because I'm here to tell you in case you have any doubt at all, here at Thrive Church, and in fact, this should go for every Christian on the planet. Christians are not here to hate on other religions and say bash Muslims and go, yo, Muslims suck and Buddhists suck and atheists suck and and, and it's not about that. See, we're here all to say that in God's sight, every person has worth. In God's sight, everyone is valuable, regardless of their background. And hey, at the same time, we've got different views, and so let's talk about them. Rather than pretend that we're all the same, let's talk about how those views are different. Let's be respectful, let's be sensitive, let's be humble, let's learn from another, and let's ask the important question, is there a view that makes the most sense? See, after all, if the questions that religion tries to answer are life's biggest questions, the most important questions, and if I, as a Christian, believe that I've got something that's going to save a life, is it really arrogant for me to want to share that? Is it? See, see, I've got something that I think maybe, just maybe, might, might, might save someone from COVID. Is it really arrogant of me to say, I want to share that if possible? See, it's not. If you can, you, the fact is you can believe that you have life-saving truth and also be humble, respectful, and friendly at the same time. Amen? So, so important. We want to be respectful. We want to be loving, but that doesn't mean we need to compromise the truth. Misconception number two. Misconception number two that so many people have about religions is that all religions are basically the same and equally valid. See, are all religions basically the same and evil? Let's, let's talk about that right now. Oh yeah, they're all praying to the same God. Oh, they basically just believe in the same thing. It's about being a good person, you know, doing good, being compassionate. It's all really the same thing. You know, have you heard that before? See, sometimes people, they, they make that statement because they haven't studied religions or they just don't really care that much about religion. So it's like a, really, it's like a dismissive comment. Oh, like, yeah, it's religion. Yeah, it's all the same. But here's the thing. The closer you look at the teachings of different faiths, different philosophies, different religions, the more you're going to find that they really are not the same thing. That in fact, the more you discover, the more you find that they all contradict one another in ways that you cannot logically reconcile. For example, just take for example, just the way that different religions view God. Buddha says there is no God. Ironically, there are a lot of Buddhists in the world who worship Buddha as God, right? Uh, there's Hindus who believe there are thousands, if not millions of gods that you can worship. Muslims, Jews, and Christians believe there is only one God. Which one is it? Is it one God? 
Is it no God? Is it thousands of gods? They can't all be right at the same time. See, it's these kind of differences that led Huston Smith, who's known as one of the world's most acclaimed scholars in world religions. He wrote a book called The World Religions, and he's not a Christian, but this is what he says. I'm gonna paraphrase it, because he used very flower language. Let me just paraphrase what he says. He basically says this. He says, don't fool yourself into thinking that all religions are basically the same. That might sound inclusive, but it's actually the trickiest position, because one once you get past superficial similarities, like, oh, they all have the golden rule, like, oh, they do unto others as you would have them do yourself. The religions of this world actually differ in what they consider essential and what they consider negotiable. In other words, religions are not all the same. Rather, they teach things that are contradictory to one another that cannot be logically reconciled. In philosophy, they've got a word for that. That's called the law of non-contradiction. It's the idea that two contradictory statements cannot be true at the same time in the same way. So for example, one plus one equals two. So if one plus one equals two, it cannot also be true that one plus one equals 66, or one plus one equals 203. They can't all be the same at the same time. They can't be all true in the same way in the same time. And see, it makes no logical sense to say all all these different contradictory views, they're, they're all right at the same time. No, you can't say that. Dr. James Emery White, who was the former dean of Fuller Theological Seminary, he says this, he says, when you have divisions like this and you have, only, you have only two options, you can either say that somebody is right in that particular area and everybody else is wrong, or you can say that everyone is wrong. What you can't say is that everyone is right, that it's all the same path, the same idea, the same God. That would be intellectually confused at best and intellectually dishonest at worst. See, it's because they contradict each other. They can't all be right at the same time. Another one is this. Some people say, oh, well, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere in what you believe. Really? As long as you're sincere in what you believe, then that means what you believe is true? For example, you know, terrorists who honestly believed that they were serving and glorifying God when they killed thousands of people in 9-11. Does the fact that they were sincere in their belief mean make what they believe true? Oh, it doesn't. I, I had a friend who suffered from acute bipolar disorder. He sincerely believed that he was God. Does the fact that he sincerely believes that he is God make him God and make what he believes true? No, it doesn't. Because just because you're sincere doesn't mean that what you believe is true. Deep down, I think we all know that. Deep down, we know that it matters what you believe, not just how much you believe it. And, and that some ideas are just better and more accurate than others. And if you're not sure about that, just ask yourself this question. Would you rather that your son or your daughter be a follower of Jesus who goes to church, Christian, who's told to love their neighbor, you know, be humble, be merciful, be compassionate, be persevering? Or do you, do, would, would you prefer that they be a Jim Jones cult follower who drinks Kool-Aid to kill themselves? You know, it, oh, they're both the same. All of them are valid. No, they're not. You know, would you rather that your wife be a follower of Jesus who worships Jesus or a worshiper of Molech, you know, the ancient God who, you know, people would sacrifice their children in the fire just to get financial gain? W- which one would you think? Do you think, oh, they're both valid. They're both equally good. No, 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 no. You, not even you would think that. See, to say that all religions are right and equally valid is not just logically impossible. It's, it's inconsistent with our experience as people on earth, right? To more, the, the more intellectually honest approach, the more morally responsible approach is to look at all these different faiths, all these different religions, all these different philosophies, and ask yourself, okay, which of these views makes the most sense of our reality and offers the best solution for our lives? It's just being honest and saying, okay, which one makes the most sense? And see, 
But what's misconception number two? All religions are basically the same. They're equally valid. What's the truth? Since the religions of this world contradict one another in irreconcilable ways, the more logical, honest approach is to ask which view makes the most sense of our reality and offers the best solution. So let's turn to that now. And we're going to end with this. See, you think that, you know, with all these different religions, how can I possibly know which one is true? How can I possibly know which one to believe in? And see, when I, when I was 19 years old, I started questioning my faith in Jesus. And uh, I, I started to have all these questions. I, I became a Christian when I was a teenager, received Jesus like, as I was 15 years old. I, 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 just, I heard the gospel message that you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, uh, that I'm a sinner, that he's a savior. And, and for me, that just made sense. And I, and, I, I, and I received Jesus that day. I got baptized soon after that. But then... Years later, about three, four years later, I started to question everything that I started to believe in. And I was like, you know, how do I know there's a God? How do I know that I can trust the Bible? How do I know that when I say that God is speaking to me, that's really God speaking to me? You know, how do I know that, you know, when people say that Jesus is the only way, that that's really Jesus, the only way? And, and, and so I decided, you know what, I, I started to lose my faith. And I, for, for a season of my life, I just didn't know what to believe anymore. And, you know, I, I started to, you know, study different faiths, different religions. And this is what I found, is that no matter what religion you choose to believe in, or if you decide to have no religion at all, it takes a certain measure of faith to believe what you believe. Whether you're you know, gonna choose to be a Christian or choose to be an atheist or choose to be an it takes a certain amount of faith to believe what you believe. Faith is not necessarily jumping blindly into something, but faith is looking at the evidence that's in front of you and making the best conclusion that you can. But it takes faith. It takes faith. But turn your and say, it takes faith. It takes faith. That's one thing I learned is that it takes faith. No matter what it is that you're going to choose to believe, it's going to take some faith. But there's another thing I learned, which for me makes Christianity unique, compelling, powerful among the religions of this world. What are the reasons why Christians can believe that what they believe is true? What makes Christianity compelling for us today? Well, if you ask Isaiah, he would point to the power of prophecy. He saw how different nations would call on their different gods, but none of them could save them from Assyria. They'd say, oh, you know, our God's going to protect us from Assyria. Nah, didn't happen. But then, you know, Isaiah, he prophecies in the name of the Lord and says, God is going to save Jerusalem. God is going to, you know, take Jerusalem to the brink of extinction, but he's going to save them from Assyria. And he does. See, Isaiah over and over saw the power of prophecy in his life. And for him, that was convincing. That, was, that helped to help him see that you know, the Lord is the one God he needs to worship. And, and for us today, let me point to two things that you can hang your hat on to believe that what Christians believe is reliable, it's true, it's compelling. The first is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, whenever any person in history ever started a, a faith movement, a philosophy, you know, a religion, whether it was, you know, like Siddhartha Gautama who started Buddhism or A.C. Swanee who started the Hare Christian movement, Muhammad who started Islam, you know, Joseph Smith who started Mormonism, each one of them, all of them, they would claim to be an expert on life. They would say, I know what you need to know about God, about your, the meaning of your life, about what happens after you die, how to secure good after life. I know all about the stuff about life after after death. And so listen to me. And then they said a whole bunch of things. They wrote a whole bunch of things down or their disciples did. And then at the end of it all, they died. And then you never heard from them again. And you don't really know if what they said is true. But there's one exception to all of that. That exception is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came onto this earth. 
he lived the most incredible life. He said a bunch of things, taught a bunch of things about who God is, about the meaning of life, about why we're here, about what happens after we die, about how to have eternal life. He said all those things and then he died, but he didn't just stay dead, he rose again to show that you can trust what Jesus says, to back up his claims that he isn't just a teacher, but he's the son of God. Jesus rose again from the grave to show that you can trust and rely on the word of Jesus Christ. And so with all due respect to those dead founders of different religions, trust the one who's still alive. His name is Jesus. You know, there's a guy called Dr. Paul Williams and uh, Paul Williams, he's a, a professor emeritus at Buddhist, uh, uh, of Buddhism at the University of Bristol in the UK. Uh, Dr. Williams, he's the former president of the UK Association of Buddhist Studies. And uh, for 20 years, Paul Williams, he practiced and taught Tibetan Buddhism. And he became actually one of the world's top experts in Buddhism. But for Dr. Williams, there was this nagging haunting question for him, which his Buddhist faith could never answer, which is, why are we all here in the first place? Because for some reason, he just found that his Buddhist faith could not answer the question of origins. Like, why are we here? And, and this led him to believe that there is a God, unlike what he'd been taught, that there is no God. And when, when Dr. Williams started to consider different religions, he looked at Christianity and he considered the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he found that the evidence is so compelling that he eventually decided to become Christian himself. And he wrote a book called The Unexpected Way. To the shock of his family, his friends, his associates, his colleagues, his students, he published a book called The Unexpected Way that described his journey from Buddhism to Christianity. And a huge turning point for him was considering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have questions about the resurrection of Jesus, how could Jesus rise again? What's the evidence for it? You can go to our Thrive Church podcast. Go to, you know, two years ago in April 2019, we have a message there called Resurrection, Fact or Fiction. And it's telling us about what, what makes the resurrection of Jesus such a believable thing, such something that, 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 that has good reasons to put your faith in. And see, what's all that to say? How can Jesus be the only way to God? Well, a huge reason is because Jesus Christ was the only one who backed up what he said by rising again. No one else did that. That's the first thing that's compelling and unique about Christianity. The second thing is the message of Christianity. See, the message of Christianity is different from the message of every other religion, faith, philosophy in the world. Every other religion is going to say it's all about what you have to do to get to God. If you would be a good enough person, if you would try hard enough, if you would work hard enough, if you, or something you'd say, you don't even have to try. You're already good enough. You don't need anyone to help you. You, you can just do it on your own. And it's all about what you have to do to get to God. And see, the, 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 the message of Christianity is not look at how good I am. God, you, know, you, you, you owe me. God, I deserve heaven. God, I deserve eternal life. No, the, the, it's the opposite. It's that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That just like Isaiah says, that our, we are separate from God because of our sins. God is holy, holy, holy. And we can't get within a hundred million miles of him without disintegrating his presence. He is so holy. And, and, here's the, and, and, and to me, I think that resonated with me is that I can't meet my own standards, let alone God's standards. And if I think that somehow I can work my way up to be like God, I'm fooling myself because I will never be perfect like God is perfect. But the amazing news of Jesus Christ is that when God knew that we had no way of reaching him, God reached for us. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus lived the most amazing life 
the life that only God in the flesh could live, met all of God's requirements. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to be separate from God again, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be brought into the presence of God, be part of the family of God, be called children of God. And the Bible says when you place your trust in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again from the grave, you are forgiven. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven and the best is yet to come. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in the place together right now. Amen. See, God is proactive. Before we even knew we needed a savior, God sent a savior. And that is different and unique compared to all the other religions of the world. The other religions are like, work your way up the ladder to get to heaven. See if maybe, just maybe you can be good enough. God's, you know, the, the message of Christianity is the opposite. You can't get up there, so I'm gonna come down to you because I love you and I don't wanna be apart from you. It's the love and the mercy and the grace, the undeserved kindness of God. See, the fact is this, there's also one more huge reason why we can place our trust in Jesus. It's because only Jesus Christ died for your sins. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. A.C. Swanee didn't die for your sins. They couldn't, only Jesus could and Jesus did. And you know, unlike the different founders of different religions, Jesus didn't say, I know the truth, though there's the truth, or I point to the truth, but he says, I am the truth. He says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And see, it's because only Jesus died for your sins. No one else did. What Jesus came to do is categorically different from what every other founder of every religion ever did. They're just pointing to the truth. He is saying, you, don't, you need more than just to know what the truth is. You need to have the truth in your life. You need me in your life. And see, this is the Messiah that Isaiah has been pointing throughout the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 43 verse 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no savior. So what do we do with all this? Let me just end with three things that we can do. Number one, realize that God has been searching for you long before you were searching for him. Realize that God has been searching for you long before you've been searching for him. Just as God had Cyrus in mind 150 years before he was born and put clues about his existence into Cyrus's life, so God has done that with you as well. Just as God had the Jewish exiles in Babylon in mind and prepared a promise and a message, messages for them that were written 200 years before they were even there in Babylon. So God has prepared his love for you in advance. It's because long before you were ever searching for God, God was searching for you. 2,000 years before you were even born, God sent Jesus Christ to be the savior that we need. It's because God was searching for you not the other way around. It's not so much that we are waiting for God, as Pastor Charles likes to say. It's that God is waiting for us. He was searching for us. That's the first thing. Realize that God is searching for you. Turn to him and say, God is searching for you. Number two, look to Jesus Christ to save you, not anyone else or anything else. See, when we look to anything or anyone else other than the Lord to save us, that is what we call, that's what Isaiah calls idolatry. And Isaiah over and over in the book of Isaiah warns about the dangers of idolatry is that you're putting your trust in something that cannot save you. But see, Jesus came so that we could have a savior that we could truly trust in. And so look to Jesus to save you, not anyone else. You know, Isaiah 45 verse 21 to 22 says this, and there is no God apart from me 
a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In your time of waiting, place your trust in Jesus, not in anything or anyone else. You know, um, you guys don't know this, but I'm gonna share it with you today, is that I, I tend to have a routine whenever I come to preach uh, here at Thigh Church. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, some spiritual preparation, there's sermon preparation, there's different things I do. But one thing I do on the day of is that um, I've got these socks that I like to wear uh, for preaching. Uh, there are these socks. I won't, I, and and th- th- this morning I was up early and I was looking for the socks. I couldn't find the socks. <laughs> and so I'll show you the socks I'm wearing today. Uh, there are these striped socks that I, don't, I never wear to preach. Um, and, you know, in part I wear my, my I call them my, you know, my lucky socks because they're comfortable, they're warm, my feet get cold. Um, but I think as I was looking for my socks, I think there's a part of me that was, you know, kind of reminding myself, what am I relying on to preach a good message today? Am I relying on the color of my socks or am I relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? And see, the same goes for you. What are you relying on to get through the season of waiting? Are you relying on a person, a plan, an experience, like something out there, or are you relying on Jesus who's here with you right now? We need to put our trust and look to him to save us, not anything or anyone else. That means getting rid of our idols and say, you know what, God, you are my hope. Not my plans, you are my hope. Not my comfort, you are my hope. Not that person, you are my hope. Not things going the way that I want, but you are my hope. You are my hope. I'm gonna look to you. Number three, and we're gonna end with this. Do your best to lead others to Jesus. See, you and I, we were made not just to live unto ourselves, but like Cyrus, God made us for the benefit of other people. And, uh, that what that means is this, is you're gonna come across people in your city and even in your home, perhaps, where they're gonna have a different take than you on certain things. You wanna be someone who builds bridges from them to Jesus. And what that means is be respectful. Be sensitive to people who come from a different background and a different faith from you. Be a bridge builder, not a bridge burner. Seek to listen, seek to learn, to see and understand where other people are coming from. And at the right time, don't be afraid to share the reason for why you hope in Jesus in a gentle, respectful, passionate way. Because you were made to lead others to Jesus as well. That could very well be the reason why you listen to this message right now. Have you learned something in this place today? It's always such a joy to spend time with you throughout church. We want to end today by leading you in prayer. Fact is that we're not just here to give you information, but we believe that with Jesus Christ, transformation is possible. And so with that in mind, I encourage you today to respond to God. Maybe you're here and you're listening to this message about how God loves you. His love for you is unconditional. It's unchanging. It's unlimited. And that before you ever searched for God, God was already searching for you. He sent Jesus Christ for you. Maybe you're here, but you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never humbled yourself and said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need you. I need you to be the savior that I can't be myself. And if that's you, if you realize that today, you don't need to have read the Bible backwards and forwards. You don't have to come to church for forever or even more than once. You just need to know that if you know that you are a sinner who needs a savior and that you want Jesus to save you, that I want to encourage you to pray this prayer today. And uh, I'm gonna encourage you just to scan that QR code on your screen or click the link that's on your chat room right now. And it's gonna take you to a page with a prayer on it. And it's not so much the words that we say as much as the attitude of our heart, but I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer from your heart. 
And so you're not doing it alone. I'm gonna do this with you. And trust me, you're not alone in doing this. This is our way of inviting Jesus Christ to do what only he can do in our lives, which is to bring the forgiveness and the peace that God brings to us something we can't manufacture ourselves. If that's you and you know you need God's forgiveness today, if that's you and you want a relationship with God today, if that's you and you want to trust in Jesus Christ to save you today, then why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? You can pray this, just repeat after me. You can say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, to forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins, you are a child of God, and you are a member of God's family, and the best is yet to come. A huge congratulations to you if you prayed that prayer. We encourage you to take the next steps uh, that we always recommend is to keep coming to church. Every baby needs a family to grow in. We'd love to be your spiritual family. Uh, another thing we encourage you to do is get baptized. Getting baptized is not a graduation. It's simply you. It's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I need a savior. His name is Jesus. I believe Jesus is my savior. And if that's you, you pray that prayer, you're ready to get baptized. I encourage you to sign up for baptism at mythrive.info. For more information on baptism, check out that link as well. And uh, finally, we want to give an opportunity for those who are here who want to thank God today for who he is, for being the one true God and Savior that we need. You, maybe you're here and you realize today that just like Cyrus, God has put stuff in your life, blessings in your life, ultimately not for your comfort, your happiness, your fame, your name, but so that you could know God himself, that you would know his heart for you. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to pray with me together right now. I want you to lift your hands to God right now. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him today. Let the height of your hands reflect you surrendering to God, maybe an issue in your life that is bigger than you, uh, but it's not bigger than God. I want you to lift up your hands to show that you want to praise him and worship him for who he is, that you trust in him. I want you to lift up your hands to God right now and in your own words, from your heart, uh, just start talking to God. Don't wait for you know, someone else to start, start talking. Don't wait for me to stop talking. Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. You just start talking to God. God today because he's here. He loves you. He's listening. Just start talking to God. Respond to his word today. Respond to who he is, our savior, our king, our God, our father, the one who's our best friend, the one that we need. Just start talking today. Thank you, Jesus, our hope. Thank you, father, our rock. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, our provider, our shepherd, our amazing God, our counselor, our healer, our comforter, Thank you, God. Our hope. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. God, I, would just, I just pray, I believe, with every single person who's praying with me right now, when, when we say we want to thank you, God, for every blessing you've placed in our lives that you've placed there, we realize, not just for our own comfort or happiness or so that we can live a self-centered life, but so that we would know who you are, that we would know your heart for us, that we would know that you are a God who is there and who cares and who loves us, so much so that you're proactive 
that you seek us out before we seek you. You search for us before we search for you. You provide for us even before we ask. Thank you for being that kind of God to each and every one of us. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for each and every one of us because you know how much we needed a Savior. Father, thank you for the people and the gifts, the talents, the opportunities that you placed in the hands of every single person who's praying right now because they were all clues and hints pointing to you. Thank you for every single person here whom you've called, not just to know you personally, but to lead others to you. God, would you use every single person here to be like Isaiah, someone who's gonna lead others to you. Like, you know, in our own way, we might not be prophets, but we thank you, God, that we're children of God and that you give us everything we need to make a difference in the lives of others, even after we're gone. And so we thank you today and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout, and let's play together right now. Let's continue to worship God with this next song. Our band is going to play. You guys are going to sing. Let's give God our very best as we sing this song. Let's also give our faithful tithes, our generous offerings. Know that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. You can go to mythought.info to give. Praise God that when we give our best to God, not only does he add everything we need, but he builds his church through us as well. And so let's do that together. Let's give God the worship he deserves. Good. 
guys are an amazing church and it's been an amazing time to spend this time with you. Let's pray together as we close off our service. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your amazing, unconditional, unchanging, unlimited, relentless love for every single person here. Thank you, God, for searching for us long before we ever searched for you. For people who are still trying to discover who you are, thank you, God, that you're not far away. Thank you, God, that you know them. You know the plans you have for them, plans to prosper them, not to harm them, plans to give them hope and a future. It's not about us. It's all about you. And so that we can live for your glory, I pray all of your blessing, your protection, faith, hope, love, strength, comfort, healing, your Holy Spirit to fill every single person here until we next meet again. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more time. Give God a big hand, a big shout. Let's play together right now.
That's it for us here at Thrive Church, finishing our service, but our worship continues. Let's continue to worship God in all that we do. Would you turn to neighbor and say the best is yet to come? Love you guys. You guys are amazing. We'll see you guys soon. Hand it back to our online hosts. Mwah. Praise God. God loves you. We love you. We'll see you guys soon. Stay tuned next week for the continuation of our series, Waiting for Sunrise. Praise God. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody. Wow, what an amazing time that we get to spend together today. There are so many things throughout today's message that I feel like God is speaking directly to me. I really love it when Pastor JB said, for every problem you have, God has a problem to preserve you. And this is definitely the quote that I'm hanging on to this week. Anyways, let's get into the announcements for today. If you're here for the first time, we're so thankful that you chose to spend your precious time with us today, and we would love to connect with you. Please text NEW to 604-285-5770 or visit myfire.info, and we'll mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. It's one of my favorite water bottles, and I'm sure you'll love it too. If you pray the prayer to receive Jesus into your life today, a big congratulations to you. We'd be honored if you can share this good news with us. We prepare a very special gift for you and a series of videos to answer some of your questions about Christianity. Simply text BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or visit myfight.info and click I want to ask Jesus into my life. There will be a link to an online form. It'll only take you less than a minute to fill out the form and we'll send you the gift package right away. If you want to be baptized or learn more about baptism, you can find all the information you need at mythrite.info as well. Father's Day is coming up in a few weeks. Thrive Church has prepared a special gift for all the super dads. If you're a dad, please visit mythrite.info and let us know your mailing address and you'll receive the gift during the week leading to Father's Day. All right, that's it from me. Don't forget to give online at mythrite.info to support the ministries here at Thrive Church. I hope you had a good time here today at Thrive Church Online. Don't forget to come back next week for the episode 9 of Waiting for Sunrise Message series. And hey, don't just watch it yourself. Invite your friends and family to tune in with you as we continue to learn how to keep hope alive from the book of Isaiah. I'll see you all next week. Bye!